happy happy Memorial Day weekend, and I know that uh, that there are many of you, we were talking about this earlier in the first service, that there are, are many of you who have family that are involved in the military. Uh, my wife's brother's over in Afghanistan right now, and just as we celebrate Memorial Day this weekend, just made me think of a lot of people in our church as well who are serving in the armed forces, and, and one thing I think that would be appropriate, appropriate for us to do today is just simply, I obviously acknowledge them, but to, to pray for those, those men and women who are involved in, in, our, uh, in our armed services, and just ask for God to bless them and to protect them and watch over them. And so what I'd like to do is just, we'll just take a, a brief moment, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, and for those that you know or might not know, just lift them up to the Lord in prayer, and just pray for protection and blessing upon them. And that they would have a special day today, and then, and then I will lead us in a word of prayer. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for, uh, for this country that we live in, this nation that we, uh, that we have the privilege of being a part of. And God, we of course today just want to to thank those men and women who are involved in our armed forces, uh, who who've sacrificed so much for us, who are away from their families. Many of them are away from their families right now. And uh, God, we ask especially for those who are uh, who are overseas, involved in you know just in a, a a battle that's been going on now for ten years. God, we ask that you would bless them. And that they would sense the presence and the power of God in their lives and their families that are back home. Uh, God, that you would give them assurance that you are with them. And may believers reach out to them and care for them and love them. But God, we are just grateful for, for people. Uh, we are grateful, Lord, for those who have a, a desire to serve. And I pray that you will bless them in this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we have, um, we have uh, well, we're continuing through our study in the book of James today, and we're going to be looking in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. So if you have your Bible and you'd like to get a head start, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, you might be curious as to where the book of James is. Go all the way to the right of your Bible, then turn back left a little bit, and you're going to hit the book of James. So James 1, verse number 19. And today we're talking about you know, removing the mask or removing a facade. Because I think a lot of us concerning our relationship, really in our relationship with God, we have this sort of this facade or this mask about you know, really where, where we stand in our relationship with God. And my hope today is that as we go through the scripture that we're going to have a better understanding or at least a, a better idea of where we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it is the most important relationship that you can have. And a lot of times we just try to, you know, try to kind of, I guess, mask things or paint things over to where it looks better than it really is. Um, I know that as I've gotten older that there's some things that I think that are okay, but as time passes I realize they're really not. Stephen Green talked about some men that hang speakers in the rafters at the concerts he gets ready to do, and they're on these catwalks that are 100 feet above the ground, and he says they don't, they don't get nervous. So they just walk around and they're, uh, you know, they can fall all the way to their death. That they're they're pretty cautious. But you know, you know when they get nervous, when they put in a false ceiling four feet below, b- below the rafters. You know why? Now the, those false ceilings, if they were to fall on the false ceilings while they're a hundred feet above the ground, are those false ceilings going to protect them as they fall through them? Is, is it going to protect them? Absolutely not. 
Now, the guys who work on, on those uh, catwalks said they get nervous because they said for some reason, they said, we know that the false ceiling's right underneath us, the acoustical tile. They said, we know it's not going to catch us. They, they said, but for some weird reason, it gives us this false sense of security. And they said, so we're careless. And they said, we know better, but we just sort of relax and act like that that ceiling's there for us and it's going to protect us. Now, as I thought about that, I began to realize that there are a whole lot of people who live their lives like four feet above a false ceiling. And we have this false sense of assurance about where we are in life, about where we are in our relationship with God. Now, a false ceiling can seem sort of comforting, but when the storms of life come, we need to understand that that false ceiling's not going to hold us up. And today we are continuing our study in the book of James. And again, it is my desire for you to leave here knowing where you stand in your walk with Jesus. Because that's the most important thing that there is. Uh, James wrote this book, and we've been going over this for the last couple of weeks. He wrote this book to a group of Hebrew Christians. They weren't living in Israel anymore. They were living all throughout the ancient world because basically they had to run and get out of Israel because of persecution. They had to hide. And so what happened is they left. They were, they were no longer in their comfort zone. Uh, they were around people that they didn't know all that well. They did not have that faith community. And so some of them were struggling in their faith. They were worried that they were going to be persecuted because of their faith. And so James wrote them this letter to say, hang firm in your faith. So I want you to mature in your relationship with God. But in order for a person to mature in their relationship with God, first of all, they need to have one with him. And so what we're going to see today in the scripture that we're going to read is we're just going to see a few basic questions that we can ask ourselves to find out if we really and truly do have a relationship with God. And so what are some questions that we can ask ourselves to see where we stand in our walk with God? Well, the first question to help us determine if we belong to God is this question. Okay, y'all ready? First, very first question you can ask yourself is, have you received the word. And was, what word are you talking about? We're going to explain that in just a second. So that's the very first question you can ask yourself. Have you received the word? Now look with me in verse number 19. It says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Does that surprise any of y'all? Uh, verse 21 says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth, and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Uh, if you don't have verse number 19 underlined, this, we're not really going to focus on this today in our message, but be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to, became, uh, slow to become angry. Uh, y'all go ahead and just underline that, Emily. Uh, why don't you go ahead and underline that one in, there, in, your, in your Bible too. But uh, anyway, have you, have you received the word? That's where our focus is going to be today. Uh, Jesus told a story back in, back in Matthew chapter 13, a parable about planting seeds. And he said sometimes a farmer will go out and he'll plant a seed and some of it will fall on a path. Birds will eat it. It won't grow. Plant it on rocky soil. It'll shoot up really quick, but then the weather burns it out and it's gone. And then sometimes he'll plant seed in a good place and the soil will accept it. And, and what happens whenever he does that? 
Nothing, right. No, a crop will grow, right? We have a lot of farmers in here. So a crop will grow and it'll be good. Now, Jesus was comparing the planting of seed to person receiving the word of God. Now, get that? Sometimes what God does is he plants the seed of his word and people have different ways that they're going to receive it. Now, they can receive it. Uh, some people, they, they, they hear the Word of God, they read the Bible, and then they ignore it. They don't do anything with the Word of God. Some people get excited about it, and then trials come their way, and they think, man, you know, bump this. Uh, if this is what I get for being a follower of God, I'm not doing this anymore, and they go back to their old way of life. And then some people, they receive the Word of God, and it changes their lives. They become different people, and they think, holy cow, there is something to this. There is something to a relationship with God, and they become excited about it. And so the question I want you to ask yourself today, and this is sort of where we're headed with this very first point, is this question. Have you received the Word to where it produces something in your life? It's like seed being planted in your life. Has some, have you received the Word to where, where God's Word grows in you? Now, before something can be successfully planted, what has to happen with the soil? It has to be prepared. Uh, we have a guy in our church who has a garden, and he has to, where he lives over in Blythewood, there's a lot of rocks there. Before he can till up the ground, he's got to get all the rocks out of that, that piece of ground so that he can till up the soil and plant the seed. Now, if he doesn't get those rocks out, those rocks can hinder those seeds from growing and producing a crop. So he has to tend to his garden. He has to get the rocks out. Now, guys, you know the same thing is true spiritually? There are some of us who have rocks that are in our lives that hinder God's Word from taking root in our lives to where we don't grow in Him, to where we don't really have a relationship with Him. And some of those rocks, I said, what are some of the rocks that I have in my life? Well, if you look back in, in verse number, let's see, where is it? Verse 21. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. Now, if you don't get rid of the rocks, what happens is weeds end up growing. And if you're a farmer, you don't want weeds in your crop. Weeds end up stealing nutrients from the, from the crop, from the plants. I know I sound like I'm a farmer here. Y'all, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just making this stuff up. Now, I, actually, I read about this stuff. But it will, uh, it will steal the nutrients from the good seed, and, and the weeds will grow up. And you might say, well, then why don't we... You know, my question would be, well, let's just eat weeds. Um, the thing is, people don't eat weeds because they don't taste very good, and they're not good for you. And so you want to get rid of the stuff that chokes out things that will be productive in your life. You want to remove those things. So what's the, what's the process of removing that stuff from our lives? Well, it begins with confessing our sin. And telling God, I'm turning away from my old way of life. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you do that, when you confess your sins to God, God will remove the rocks out of your life. The stuff that hinders His seed, His word from growing in your life. Uh, Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Now the next step is for us to actually continue to keep the rocks, the moral filth and evil out of our lives. 
It's not just a one-time process. A farmer doesn't go out, and if you and, and your yard work, you don't go out and weed the beds, and we would like this, but you don't go out and weed the beds one time, and then that's it, do you? It's not like, you. Well, I got them all out, and I never have to go back again. It is a constant process. And the same thing in our walk with Jesus, it's, man, the same thing's true in life. It is a constant process to keep the weeds out of our lives. They might say, well, how do you keep the weeds out of your life? Well, you refresh yourself with God's Word. You know, one reason why I take time to read Scripture in the mornings during the day is and every day because I want to refresh myself with how God desires for me to live. I want it to be a reminder to me about, about what it means to live a good and pure life. And so, and I look at reading Scripture sort of like practice. I mean, I, I practice, I read God's Word so that whenever game day comes, I'm going to be ready for it. You know, whenever storms come, I'll go, yeah, I remember what God's Word has to say about this. So I want to be prepared. Have any of y'all ever heard of a guy named Ernest Shackleton? Anybody ever heard of him? He was an explorer, went to Antarctica, had to leave his men on Elephant Island. So I'm going to come back for you. We're out of supplies. Men stay there. He gets on a ship, leaves, comes back with supplies, but he can't get back to them because it's all been frozen in. Months later, he's able to get back in. You know what happened? The men were prepared. When he showed up after like five months, his men were standing. This is in the days before cell phones. He shows up and his men are standing there, all packed up, ready to get on board. How do you all think that happened? Was it because they were psychic? It's because the man he left in charge would tell his men this every day. He said, gentlemen, he said, get up, pack your bags. He said, the boss might be coming back today. I thought about that. I thought, you know that for a Christian, we need to get up every day, pack our bags, say, Lord, you might be coming back today, and I want to be ready. Where are you? in your relationship with God right now? Where do you think you are? I mean, don't answer. But where do you think you are? You know, I, I, it is time for us to remove the mask. And could, don't try to act like somebody that you're really not. Be, don't, you have to be honest with me. Be honest with God. Say, God, really, where am, where am, I, where am I in my relationship with you? If you want to know some questions you can ask yourself, first question to ask yourself is, have I received God's Word? And I don't mean, you know, you're not one of those guys that say, yeah, I see it, and then just put it down. Have you received God's Word? Is the soil in your life prepared, tilled up, so that you can accept it? Have I received God's Word? Here's the, here's the second question to ask yourself to find out if you really belong to God, and it's this one. Do you practice the Word? Now, it's not just that you receive the word, but the question is, do you also practice it? In verse 22, and James is so, he's so upfront and practical. Y'all, it is hard to read this book and say, man, I just don't know what he's talking about. Um, you know, and I'm not saying anything about y'all. It's just in, I just think if you read this book and you don't know what he's talking about, man, you've got to be really dense. I mean, listen to this. This is how straightforward he is. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Just do what it says. Does that make sense to y'all? I don't know. I read that and I think, oh yeah, I get that. Uh, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man that looks at his face in a mirror 
and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. When, when you read the Word, this is a question for you, when you read the Word, do you just simply read the Word and not do anything about it? Or do you read the Word and it does something to you, say, I'm going to follow this? I, I like this. James says, don't just read the Word. Don't just know what the Bible says. Do it. You, you want to know if you belong to God? And this is just a, a way, it's just a little self-examination is when you know what God's Word teaches, if you're a follower of God, what do you think you're going to do? You're going to do it. He says, now, if you don't, he said, you're like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, and then he just ignores it and goes on. In the mornings, what is one of the first things that you do every morning? One of them. You go and you look at yourself in the mirror, Right? Now, I know there's other things. We're just going to, we're going to focus on the mirror. Okay, you see yourself in the mirror, and when you look at yourself in the mirror, what do you generally see when you see yourself in the mirror? Other than just saying, I, just, I see a really good-looking person. I mean, you look at yourself in the mirror, and you think, oh, my gosh, I look older than I thought, uh, which is sort of the stage I'm in. I'm like, why are my eyes so puffy? And then I have, I have y'all have cowlicks like crazy. There's a Robin Kirkies in our church cuts my hair, and she's like, I don't know how you have a cowlick on the side of your head. And so if I, when I get up in the morning, my hair's sticking up everywhere. And so if I look in the mirror and then I go, yep, I, I, I see the cow licks, they're sticking up everywhere, and then I go on and I don't do anything about it, that's what James is talking about when he says a person looks into God's Word and he doesn't do anything about it. The mirror is there to help you see the way you really look so that you can begin to make adjustments. Uh, we're told in Galatians 3.24, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. That word charge is referring to a teacher. The law is a teacher that points us to Jesus. Now, what does a teacher do? What does a teacher do? She teaches. He teaches. What do they teach? They teach you, they can teach, they can point out to you, flaws in your thinking so that you can correct your thinking so that you will make better decisions. They help you make decisions that will lead you down the right path. That is what the scripture is for us. Galatians 3.24 says the law is put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. It's not just a book to read and that's it. It is a book for us to pay attention to and then apply to our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 7.16, you'll know them by their fruits. You want to know where a person stands in the relationship with God? Look at their actions. Don't look at what they say. I mean, what we say is important. But if you want to find out where somebody really is, where you really are, look at your actions. What do your actions say about you? You know, not, not, what, what, not what do you say about yourself. What do your actions say about you? Now, I'm not saying that a believer is over the long haul that he's, he's going you know, to live a perfect life. But over the long haul, you're going to be able to tell what kind of person he is by the things he produces in his life. You know, if you have a, how do you know an apple tree is an apple tree? Hey, his apples come off of it. A, a tree is going, the kind of tree, you're going to discover what a kind of tree it is by the kind of fruit that it produces. Same thing's true in your life. 
you're going to find out where you are in your walk with God, and you can determine and find out where a person is in their relationship with God by what kind of stuff comes out of their lives. And over a period of time, now there's some bad stuff that comes out of our lives regardless, but in the big picture, overall, you're going to be able to tell what a person values and finds important and who they trust over a period of time in their life. Because Jesus said, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So what do your actions say about you? Not what, what are people, not what are people's perceptions of you. What do your actions say about you? Who are you? Because you see, a life that is lived for self, that seeks after its own interest, is going to end up being bankrupt. Because if we seek after our own, our own interest... Guys, if we seek after our own interests, we need to understand that we are seeking after temporary things that have no power and no value in the long run. They have no value in the big picture. Things of this world. If, we say, if you say, I'm going to seek after the things of this world, I'm going to seek after my own pleasure and what I want, I mean, it is, it's not going to last you very long. Job said this in Job 121. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. What's he talking about? He's just letting us know that, that the material things of this world, they don't last. You know, the way you came in this world is the way you're going out. You're not going to take anything with you. And the stuff that you leave behind eventually is going to decay, and it's going to be gone. So what do your actions say about you? Who are you? There was a ship called the Queen Mary that, that was put in service in 1936. They refurbished it, and they scraped it. There's big smokestacks on it. 1967, they turned it into a floating hotel and restaurant. And it was, it was a huge ship. It was bigger than the Titanic. 2,000 people could be housed on it. They decided to scrape off the smokestacks to repaint them. 30 layers of paint on those smokestacks. They started scraping them away. When they got down to the last layer, they scraped away the last layer, and there was nothing there. The uh, metal, the our inch and a half thick steel that made up the smokestacks over the years had just absolutely decayed, deteriorated. It was gone. But they never knew it because the paint job covered it up. Now, on the outside, it looked good. But underneath, it was empty. Let me tell you something. If your actions will say a whole lot about you. And if you seek after things of this world, on the outside, it's going to look really good and shiny. But there's not going to be ab- there's going to be absolutely zero substance to it. So how can we know if we belong to God? A couple of questions to ask here. First, have you received the word? If you have, do you put it into practice? And then here's the last question to ask yourself to help determine if you belong to God. The very last one: Do you share the word? Do you practice the word, and then finally, do you share the word? In the last two verses I'll read here, verses 26 and 27, it says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. When something major, something major good happens in your life, what do you want to do with that information? You want to tell people about it, right? I mean, if something really good happens, I mean, you're not going to just say, well, I'll just sit on that for a while. You're, man, you're going to start telling everybody about it. Uh, this past year, and I, I don't know where, you know, where most of you, st- I don't know where all of you stand, 
uh, on your, your favorite sports teams. Y'all, I, you remember when Carolina won the national championship in baseball? Y'all remember that, whether you like them or not? We remember that. Okay, now, as a, as a fan of Carolina, when that happened, y'all, there's, and I know, I know a lot of, I, I root for Carolina, but a lot of you guys are obnoxious. You guys did not find, you did not watch that game and think, well, that was a great game, but I'm not going to talk about it. How, how many of you guys, I mean, some of you are in your Carolina stuff today. How many of you guys walked around and just started telling everybody about it? You rubbed it in everybody's face. I mean, you were excited about that news, right? When, when something big time happens like that, because we're thinking, we don't know if that will ever happen again. And so we're going to brag as much as we can. But when good news comes around, guys, one thing that you're going to do is you're going to share it. Well, when you become a follower of God, it's good news. There's redemption. There's forgiveness. The Bible says that there is a place that God has created in heaven for us to live with Him for an eternity. He transforms your life. He gives you purpose and meaning. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. It says, The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Now, this is my belief. When something good happens, it's an impossibility for you not to share. It's an impossibility when something good happens to you for your life not to be affected. And one thing God's going to do is He's going to prompt you to share that news with others. Just like somebody shared that news with you. Now, Christians, God hasn't called us to hide from the world so that we can keep ourselves pure. He's called us to go out into a hurting world to share good news. If you look in our text, it tells us that that if anyone considers himself religious, what does he do? He says, good religion is this. He says, you look after orphans and widows. You take care of those that are in need. Back in those days, you have to understand, there was not like a welfare system. I mean, if, if, if people are going to be taken care of, man, it was Christians and their families that would gather together to put their faith in action. And again, this brings me to, to an important question. If people were to examine your life, would they say that your life is full of words? Or is it full of action? And James speaks about this a lot in his, in his book. In James 2, 14 through 17, he said, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Or suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? The same way faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. You know, what our, you know what our community needs? I really think more, just about more than anything from the church. They need a faith from us that speaks. They need a faith from us that has action behind it. That's what they need from us. And God didn't bless you with a gift of his presence and his salvation for you to hide it. I read a story about a lady who taught missionary children overseas for a number of years. And she loved the kids, but there was one thing that she would not give those kids. She would not allow any of them to touch her books. And she, was, you know, she loved books, and she said, if I let the kids take it, touch the books, she said, if you loan them out, they don't never return them. Uh, if I loan them out, she said, they're going to screw up the bindings. And so she didn't even let anybody touch her books, not even herself. She put them all in a footlocker and locked them up. 
Well, as time passed, she, she was in her bedroom one night, and the footlockers at the end of her bed. She said she kept hearing this weird noise. She didn't know what it was. She heard it for several days, and finally she decided it was coming from her footlocker. And so she got up, and she opened up her footlocker, and what she discovered was that all of her books were turned into pulp. Termites had gotten in there, and they'd absolutely eaten and destroyed her books. And she said she learned a lesson from this. She said, I learned that whenever I tried to hoard the blessings that I have, that they lose their power. That they cannot be used in order to bless somebody else's life. Who are you blessing? If you're a follower of God, who are you blessing with your faith by sharing with them? There's a few questions we can ask ourselves to find out if we belong to God, if we're part of His family. And then this is really what I want us to do today, just for you and God to just simply take time say, well, who am I? If I remove the facade, who am I in my walk with God? And there's some questions you can ask to find out. Have you received the Word? Do you practice the Word? And do you share the Word? Now, if you come to the conclusion that you don't do any of those things, Guys, here's the good news. You can square away where you are with God today. Right now. You don't, don't square it away with me. Square it with God. So what I'd like for us to do is we close out our service right now. Just for us to bow our heads and to close our eyes. And just to, to be real honest with God. Say, Lord, I'm, I want to remove you know, my, my perception of who I am. I want to get all that stuff off. And God, just simply be really honest with you. And God, if I'm honest with you, I'd have to say that I live for me. That Jesus today, I want to make the decision to live for you. And so I acknowledge that I am sinful. I ask you to forgive me. And Lord, I'm reaching out to you because I believe you are my one and only hope for redemption. And I trust that you died and rose from the grave for me, and I ask you to save me. Now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if, if you prayed that prayer or something like it, I, I want to encourage you to take your bulletin, and you fill out that section on the right side after you open it up, and, and check that line. Say, I commit my life to Christ. And you put that in the offering basket. And we can get you some information in the mail about growing in your walk with Jesus. We want you to be honest with God today. To remove the mask. Others of you, if you're honest, you say, you know, I, I do have a relationship with God. But whenever I look at myself and I look at these questions, I begin to understand that, that my faith lately, has, man, it hasn't impacted my actions whatsoever. See, I, I know I don't share my, my faith with others. I know I don't give God the time of day like I used to. I want to challenge you just simply to talk to God. Take this time to pray to Him and say, Lord, today I want to recommit my life to You. Lord, I, I want to confess my sinfulness to You. Lord, I want to commit to seeking out Your Word each day by reading scripture to find out what you'd have to say to me and then God I ask you to help me to apply your word to my life because God I want to be real I want to be real with you and no longer wear a mask 
Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your goodness. And I pray, Jesus, that we will be honest and straightforward with You as James is with us as we look into his text. He just very simply tells us, hey, don't just, don't just read the Word, do it. God, may we become doers of the Word of God. And not just a bunch of people with big mouths who talk a big game but don't do anything. God, help me to be a man who will practice the Word of God. Raise up men and women in this church and young people who will live out the Word of Jesus. Because, Lord, we believe that if we do, that it transforms and impacts and changes lives around us. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.